to give you a foundation of, of three major keys, three kind of foundational stones of how to have an above and beyond marriage and family. Again, with that said of we are still building on these stones ourselves. We have to work at it every day. We're just going to share our hearts. And then in the process of sharing our hearts, we'll deal with the questions. But number one is this. Before I do that, let me pray. I forgot all about that. Sorry about that. See, I make mistakes. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, for the joy that you give us. Thank you that you love relationships, that you've given us relationships on this earth. Lord God, what a gift. And Lord, today, our, our, our simple request, our simple heart's desire is this, that you would be lifted up. Lord, even as that song said, that you would be lifted high, that you would be seen, that Lord, you would touch us, that you would reveal your heart together today uh, as we meet together. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to sit back. I might even kick back here just to, uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. Um, so number one is this, how to have an above and beyond marriage is number one is all of our relationships should be lived out of the outflow of our relationship with Jesus. Hi, <laughs> good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, addressing that question, um, you know, I think allowing the Lord to author and finish every single part of our lives, that everything we do is an outflow of that intimacy with him. You've heard Bruce say it a million times. It's living the life, not just saying it, living it, doing what the Lord um, has called us to do, um, and, and allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through us and listening to his voice, intimacy with him out of that place mind, soul, body, spirit, everything being committed, covenanted with the Lord and um, living the way he has called us to. And this is a process, um, but it should be our goal to be changing from glory to glory, to becoming more and more like Christ Jesus and revealing him through our brokenness and through our obedience and our faith in him. Yeah, you know, Jesus said, you know, Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And, it, and it's, a, it's about seeking his heart first as we look at relationships. So, you know, all of our earthly relationships, whether that be, you know, marriage, family, parent, child, friendships should, uh, as believers in Jesus, should out, be an outflow of our relationship with him first. It begins with him. Uh, it ends with him. And it really is a, uh, an idea of divine priorities, getting the vertical straight before we can understand the horizontal, if that makes sense. It's, it's Jesus first and then relationships after that. I mean, he does give us earthly relationships, but it is, it is getting the relationship with him and that divine priority. But a lot of times as human beings and the tendency as human beings is we get that backward. We, we put the earthly relationships before him. And, and I'm telling you, when we do that, I've done it, and uh, we probably all have stories that we could share, is it, it really will lead you to some spiritual frustration. But it's getting the vertical before straight before we get the horizontal straight. We receive his love, and then we have the capacity to love. And so if, we, if I want to be a great husband, if I want to be a great father, I love Jesus, and I receive his love. You know, if I want to be a great friend, if I want to have great relationships, it's receiving his love first, then I have a capacity to love others. And, and not compartmentalizing, you know, be careful of, <laughs> my temptation too, is to, okay, this is for Jesus, 
and this aspect of my life is for his glory and his honor, but this, you know, I'm just going to keep under my control and my way, I'll do it this way. You know, it's just constantly taking evaluation, honest look at our lives, is every aspect of our life, and again, this is a process, but is every aspect of our life, are we working toward making it, committing it to the lordship of Christ Jesus and allowing him to truly be Lord of all? So that leads us into our first uh, couple of questions here, um, and these are more along the lines of, of, of dating or, you know, when we have this idea of dating or, or desiring a relationship with another person, um, you know, God gives us that desire, but we're going to kind of deal with those questions um, as we go along. So the first one's kind of dating uh, slash desiring a relationship. The first was from a teenage girl concerning a relationship, and she says this, what does a, a teenage girl do when they're supposed to be in a relationship with a Christian guy but he doesn't contact her even when he tells everyone that he's dating her. What should she do? She feels deserted and confused. And the second one is this. Someone says, I've had someone in my life before, and I miss having someone in my life to hold, to care for, to cry on their shoulder, to share my days with. Um, and then also they talk about how the physical need is still there as well. And so just framing these first couple in that uh, first couple of questions in the mindset of desiring relationship or having been in a dating relationship, you know, and, and this is not just teenagers either. This teenage girl put this uh, question there, but, you know, there are adults that date and they're looking and they're, they're searching for, uh, for relationship. Um, and the first thing that I do is before we specifically deal with the questions is, is that we find our identity in Christ first. Again, to go back to how we began this is to seek Him first. He does put longings in us. He puts longings for relationships, but all of those have to be in the right order. Again, if we're looking for the relationship to fill something that Jesus can only fill, you know, that's going to be a frustrated person. And so, number one is that we ultimately need Jesus and having things in the right order. Um, for the young girl that asked this question, you know, I just encourage you, um, maybe this guy's a really great guy, but um, maybe he's just not ready. And perhaps the Lord will bring you together at another point in time, but right now, if he can't show the same level of commitment that he's saying he is, um, or desiring to, and he tells everybody else that, but he's not treating you that way, just take that as... Uh, you don't have to be offended. Take that as direction from the Holy Spirit that God is saying, wait right now. Um, his timing is perfect and you can trust it. And he loves you. And perhaps he's wanting to draw you closer and do things in your heart and draw this young man closer and do things in his heart. Maybe that young man um, will be ready later on or perhaps the Lord will bring another person into your life. Um, it, 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 submit everything you do to the Lord. And as Bruce said, <clears throat> it is important that every aspect of our lives, again, is committed to the Lord, even, even the good things that God gives us. God does. He's a giver of awesome gifts. He loves relationship. He invented it. But anything, anything, any gift, any calling, any anything that God gives can be, we can... Um, make an idol out of it. We can um, put our hope and trust in it instead of the Lord. And so in all these things, in the first and second question, um, make sure that the, the Lord is your God, that you're not finding your security and hope just in a relationship, 
but you're first finding that in Christ Jesus. And, and to the second lady who, who, or man, I don't know who it was, um, but if you're feeling lonely and these sorts of things, know that God can fill that place of loneliness. Know that he alone can provide. <clears throat> if he's not provided someone for you at this time, again, his timing's perfect. You can trust that. And all that means is he wants you for himself, and he has awesome things that he alone can do and work in your life. You can take it as a compliment. He wants you for himself. He doesn't want to share you. And, and just wait for the perfect timing of God and trust in him. Get your identity fully secured in him. And oftentimes when you do that, you get so content that you don't even realize that you're alone anymore. And then God brings that right person. It's just amazing how that works. So again, find your security. That's an awesome thing. That's a high calling. God's not leaving you out or forgetting you. He is calling you to himself. That's an awesome thing. Take it as a compliment. And going back to the foundational passage, you know, seek first his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus first. As a dad to that teenage girl, run to Jesus and away from that boy. There's a word of the Lord for you. Um, yeah, amen. Uh, thank you for that. Um, but, you know, anyone that longs for a relationship, you know, and there was this quote that had, you know, was going around for a while, but it's this. It, and, 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 and young people, I want you to get this in your spirit. Older people too, but seek, seek Jesus to the point where you want someone that they, are, that they have to seek Jesus to find you. Isn't that good? I didn't come up with that. I wish I would have. But they, you know, you, that's the place you want them to be is that they have to come to Christ to find you because you're so close to the Lord. You know, in, in Proverbs, we, we, uh, and I love this passage, but it says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and, and obtains favor from the Lord. And I shout amen to, from the rooftops for my wife. But you know what? That passage is something that we all need to get in our spirit. But it says, he who finds a wife, in the Hebrew, it's not he who is searching around for a wife. It's he who is got his eyes on the Lord and stumbles upon like a treasure. And again, so some, we, we have to get these in the right, the right alignment and right priority is that we seek him first. And it's, you know, do we trust him with that relationship? Do we trust him that he wants good for us? You know, to anyone that longs for a relationship, let me say this, there are worse things than being alone. Can I get an amen for that? You know, I've, we, we've counseled people, we've talked to people that have regrettable relationships that they found themselves in because maybe they manipulated and they had to have that relationship. And then they have a lot of regrets on the other end of that. There's worse things than being alone. And, you know, um, and we can make relationships an idol, as Athena said. And we can, uh, I, I said this earlier, but we can look to a person to fill something in us that only God can. So don't take matters into your own hands and those let God do it, even if it's not as quick as you would like. And so, hopefully that was helpful. That leads us from kind of the longing of relationship to being in a relationship, uh, specifically dating um, uh, that you're, you're a couple or engaged or whatever. And these couple questions that came out of, uh, out of this area were very similar in nature. Um, and, and, and so, I'm going to give you the questions and then we'll, we'll talk about those. Um, the first one is this, what's your stand, and I'm assuming they're asking, uh, you know, us, what's your stand on people living together before marriage? How would you counsel them? 
Would you perform a, a wedding ceremony if they refused to repent and yet were determined to marry? So that was the first one. Second one, again, similar on living together. How can we as a body of Christians better take a stand and open people's eyes to how this is in defiance of God's word and how we can lovingly educate people on the life that God has for us within his plan for us? So let me, again, I'm gonna, we're going to do a little bit of foundation here, then we'll get to the question specifically. This is going to get a little bit PG-13, so parents, uh, buckle up. Uh, it won't get too bad, but, uh, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about sexuality. You know, a lot of people think that the church and sexuality should be separated things, and I think for too long we haven't talked enough about it in the church. And there's a lot of thoughts out there, there's a lot of dysfunction out there, as we see in culture. And so, um, we, we, you know, it, it excites me to talk about this and to say, you know, God has a lot to say about it. And if we look at the scriptures and we look at the word, uh, we'll, we'll find um, his intentions and his heart for sexuality. So, again, we're going to look at about God's idea, God's intentions as we talk about this subject matter. As sexuality goes, really, we can go back to the very beginning to see God's intentions for it. Genesis 2.24, you have God's intentions for sexuality. It says this, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That word cleave there is emotional, mental, physical. There is a joining together of two people. That is God's design at the very beginning. Genesis 2.24, when he created man, he saw that man was alone. It's not good for man to be alone. He gave him a suitable helper in Eve. And then this is before sin came into the world. And he said that for this cause, a man shall leave his mother and his father and cleave unto his wife, not to his girlfriend, not to his significant other. Cleave unto his wife. That's God's intentions for sexuality. Sex was and is an amazing gift that God gives to humanity but he gave it within a right context. And again, you have to just go back to what was on God's heart. What was God's idea? Not our idea, not our twist, not our spin on it. What was God's heart in this area? And so he gave this gift to humanity, but he gave it within the context of this, one man, one woman in the confines of marriage. That was God's intention. And this was before sin. Obviously, after sin, there was a lot of dysfunction, even with God's people. Some people have asked the question, you know, well, look, you know, if that was God's intention, then why, you know, look at, uh, you know, Jacob had Rachel and Leah and then these concubines, and, and you're like, whoa, you know, was God just like turning a blind eye? No, that was not God's best, and it was not his original intention. It was, it was sin. Now, can God redeem through sin? Yes, he can. That doesn't mean that we sin so we can get his redemption. Paul said that. Should we, should we sin more so that we can have more grace? Absolutely not. But God can redeem that, and we see the 12 tribes of Israel coming out of that, but you see the dysfunction of, of sin. If you were to interview Jacob and say, how'd that work out for you having four different women? He'd have said, it was a headache. It was, I mean, look at the Bible. It was, it was not God's plan. And again, you see even the people of God taking matters into their own hands in this. You see David, the, the godly king, falling for, for, because of sexual sin, and he suffered some serious consequences for it. Solomon, considered the wisest king ever, fell because of sexual sin. He had a thousand women at his disposal. 
That is complex. And the Bible doesn't paint that it was a good thing. In fact, it ended up being his ruin. And then we know Samson. So we have a lot of dysfunction. But God did redeem some of these issues. But again, these were not permission to all of a sudden have sexual dysfunction. It was saying, let's go back to God's intentions and look. Well, everything God does, he has purpose. Nothing's happen chance. It's not by accident. He does with purpose, as Bruce has already mentioned. And oftentimes, whatever he does in the eternal, in the spiritual, he is revealing to us through the way he set things up in the physical. He's trying to open our eyes to help us see his eternal plan. And his plan for man and woman under the covenant to be one, as he and the Father are one, to reveal, um, it reveals something about himself. It reveals about the character of God. It reveals Jesus and his desire, desire for his bride, the church, the body of Christ. And, and it reveals his passion he gave up everything so that he could have us, and he desires that we give up everything so that we can have him. And the same thing in covenantal relationship. We give up everything. We turn um, from every other lover so that we can have this right here, oneness, unity within the bonds of marriage. And God created it. It was his idea. He gave the boundaries for it. And since he came up with it, it's pretty safe to say that we should commit um, living our lives the way that he designed it. And when we do that, it is such a blessing. Marriage is awesome. It's not, it's not a piece of cake, but it's awesome within the bounds and the realms that Christ sets. The, these things are not for our destruction or to make us miserable. Or, you know, God, you're so harsh. Why do you put all these rules on everything? It's, it's not that at all. It's that he designed it a certain way for our good. His way brings life. And so if we look at it through that lens, um, we can see the awesomeness in our marriages as we fully submit to his way. And then it reveals to the world his passion and his desire for us and the price that he paid to have us and for us to have him. So, um, you know, take it as um, when, when we look at marriage or living together or whatever the case may be, comparing the two, just really encourage you to see the goodness of God in his desire, in his design, the way he set things up. It's for our blessing, and, and we can trust him. And just as we give wholeheartedly everything we are to God, we then, in covenant, give everything, nothing withheld within this relationship. And again, that's what the world sees, and that will convict um, of, of a, a lifestyle that perhaps is not under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Anything that we do when we follow God's way is going to be counterculture. We, we just have to get used to that as, as, the, as the church. Because in the realm of sexuality, I mean, look at the media, watch TV for 10 minutes, and it's all over the map. And so then, the, you know, the, the, the culture preaches the message of what's the big deal about, and then you just list it, name it, I mean, whatever it is about in the realm of sexuality. And then after a while, it's then most people go, well, I guess there isn't a big deal. And that's why when you live for the standard of God, you know, you're looked at as, are you a weirdo? Are you? But it's going to be counterculture, but it's going to be blessed. 
You know, um, and then we ask the question, and when we see all this dysfunction, did God's intentions get lost after the fall or after sinfulness? You know, Genesis 2.24, we see God's blueprint for sexuality and marriage. I mean, that's it's kind of the stamp that God put on, this is the way I see it. Then obviously after the fall, after sin, you have a lot of dysfunction. Did God's intentions, the original blueprints, get lost after the fall? Absolutely not. Listen to what Jesus says, Matthew 19, 5. He repeats the Father. So Jesus is on the earth, and He says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and he shall be joined or cleaved unto his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The one flesh is there. It's, it's a covenantal thing, like Athena said, physical, spiritual, emotional. Then that was Jesus. Then we look at Paul. Paul under the new covenant. Now Paul is under the new covenant. Jesus has died for our sins, risen from the dead, gone to be with the Father. Now we're under the new covenant. And Paul says the same thing. In Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, 31, he repeats, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, cleaved unto her. And so he reiterates God's original blueprint and God's original intention. It's interesting at the beginning of Ephesians 5, the first, you know, in, in the New Living Translation, it says this because it's going to give, you know, it kind of gives the order of family, but it says this, follow God's plan. That's the first three words of Ephesians 5, follow God's plan. And God's ways are counterculture, and we're going to fight against that all of our days. But again, Paul says, under the new covenant, to, uh, to cleave unto our wife. Um, the man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And then all throughout his teachings, and we're going to get more specifically into the question itself, but all through Paul's teaching, and you can find it everywhere, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and he will, he will say this phrase over and over, and you can find it in, in Scripture. And he'll either say it like this or or uh, exactly this statement, but he says, flee sexual immorality. Flee sexual immorality. As he states the blueprints of God, then he says, flee sexual immorality. Some places, like 1 Corinthians, he gives kind of specific lists of what sexual immorality is. So, he says for us, as the people of God, to flee or get away, or get away from it. And so, what is sexual immorality? We ask the question. Well, if you look at God's intentions, look at His blueprint, sexual immorality can be defined as this, sexual acts outside of God's intentions. And He lists some of them, adultery, fornication, lust, some of the sinful issues are in our mind. Jesus said, you know, He said, you heard it says that if you, uh, you know, if you have adultery with a woman, that, you know, it, it breaks God's law. He said, I tell you the truth. If you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. So Jesus even deals with what's going on the inside. But adultery, fornication, lust, homosexuality, these are all sins that Jesus calls us to turn from, repent, and turn to Him. And what is that whole idea of repentance? You know, and then repentance has gotten a negative rap through the years. But repentance is wonderful. Acts 3, it says this, when we repent, we have times of refreshing from the Lord, and we do it God's way, and we turn away from our way of doing it to God's way of doing it, and, uh, then, and, and it's a great blessing. And so, again, sexual immorality is any sexual act 
physically or mentally, outside the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. So then we can say, what's, what is sexual morality? If he says flee sexual immorality, it's God's way. It's holy sexuality. Did you guys know that heterosexuality isn't the goal? Because a lot of times we compartmentalize, like Athena said, we, we compartmentalize things and the church wages war against these, these sins. And we say, well, man, you shouldn't be living together. And if we have lust in our own heart, what's the greater sin? You know, and we can battle against the homosexual community. And friends, let me tell you, our battle is not against the homosexual community. It is not to say, well, we're going to convert homosexuals to heterosexuality. No, it's to convert all of us to holy sexuality. Because we can lamb blast people, and if I have sin in my own heart, if I have lust issues, what am I looking at on the computer and the TV? Where's my mind racing in the privacy of my own, my own home? And God is calling all people, saying, I'm calling you all to holy sexuality and my intentions for your lives because I have good things to give you. But again, God's beautiful gift of sexuality to one man, one woman in the context of marriage. Cleaving together total connection emotionally, physically, spiritually. And I look at this, God's gift of sex is like a Ferrari. Yes, the car. And so God says, would you like a Ferrari or would you like a Pinto? Please don't say Pinto. <laughs> and and it, really, we can have it our way. And, and, and us doing sexuality or doing life our way is the Ford Pinto that's barely moving. But we can do it our way. Where God says, you know, I have a Ferrari for you. It's a valuable, valuable, precious gift. But guess what? There is a way to drive a Ferrari and there's ways not to drive a Ferrari. It belongs on the interstate. It belongs on a road. It, you don't go off-roading with a Ferrari. You don't go jumping ramps with a Ferrari unless you've lost your mind. And so there are, there's, a, there's a confinement of how you're supposed to drive it, and that's the way God gives us sexuality. It's a wonderful, precious gift that he gives us. But he says, now do it the right way. The, the holy way, God's way, and it will be blessed. And it is a wonderful gift. I mean, let's not, let's not kid ourselves. You know, if God was just simply looking at for, for reproduction of, of kids, he would have had us like, you know, rub our thumbs together or something. You're going to have a kid. So you'd be very careful about how you rub thumbs with people. I mean, he could have done it that way, but he's given us this wonderful, amazing, pleasurable gift. But he says, now I'm giving you the gift. How are you going to handle it? Well, one thing I like to think about when we're, uh, I've shared this with um, teenagers years ago, um, when you're thinking of the gift of sex and sex before marriage, it's often like if you're, you know, as a parent, if we were to give our kids their Christmas gifts in January, the January before the December, and let them open them, let them play with them, let them tear them apart, let them do whatever they want for that, uh, you know, up until December, all that time. And then the night before Christmas, we go get those same gifts and wrap them up and put them back under the tree and let them open them again on Christmas morning. That sounds absurd. We wouldn't do that. The gifts are, a lot of them are broken, used, discarded. The kids are disinterested. They know what they are. They're not, it's not as valuable anymore. 
And oftentimes that's how we've treated sexuality, you know, or, or we as the child, you know, children of God demanding our gift ahead of time instead of waiting patiently for what God has and the surprise and the joy. And that's kind of a lame comparison. However, it, the principles are still true. Um, God has given us this awesome gift. He's the creator. He designed it. He made it. Let's wait. And let me tell you, waiting is worth it. If you wait and you do it within the realms of marriage, the blessing that is there, sex within marriage is awesome. And it gets better and better and better as you commit your ways to the Lord and submit to his will. That's how he designed it. He designed it as a gift. And he wants to give it to each and every one of us. It's not just for a special few. It's for all of us, but it's within the way he designed it to be. And so I encourage you, even if you have failed, God can redeem and restore today. Don't, don't take it as condemnation that, oh, no, I've made a mistake. I've chosen to go my own way. There's, there's forgiveness, there's healing, and there's redemption if you have. And if you, if you would like to be redeemed, you can turn from this and go a different way, and the Lord will restore and can restore and heal what the enemy or what you have chosen to do in going your own way. But sex is awesome, and it's a gift, but we must submit it to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Yeah, it, again, it goes back to trusting God. It, it, does he want good for us? He does. You know, and a lot of times we can see, well, you know, that seems like is God trying to be a killjoy? Absolutely not. When we do it his way, it is, it is way blessed. And then a lot of people will go, you know, well, I, you know, I have these physical needs and stuff. And, and, and again, I, I, I understand that, especially as a man. I understand that. But we have to subject those things to the Lordship of Christ every day. It's about, you know, it's about taking up our cross, too. Because when we do, we get life, an abundant life that Jesus promises. And this realm of sexuality is, is, is a part of those good gifts. And... Um, you see it in Song of Solomon. I, I love the Song of Solomon where, you know, it's, it's a pretty provocative book. You know, kids in the Jewish community, they couldn't read it until they had, after Bar Mitzvah. There's a reason why. It's, it's got it's some, it's some very romantic and sexual language in that book. But you see the perspective, and it's a book of, of, of you know, it's a poetic book. And, but you see one part where God is even saying to the lovers, and, and after they have waited, and after they have, in the confines of marriage, He says, drink deeply, my friends. It's kind of God's permission. It's beautiful. But we also see beforehand, before they join their lives together, there's several times, I think it's three or four times, where it says, do not awaken love until the time is right. And so there's a time and there's a place to open the gift. So going to the, uh, with, with that foundation, uh, let's go to the questions. Again, the questions, what's your stand on people living together before marriage? How would you counsel them? Would you perform the ceremony if they refuse to repent and yet were determined to marry? I'll tackle that and then I'll let Athena tackle the next one. But uh, first of all, you know, we, we've done a lot of premarital counseling, met with people. Um, our encouragement to them is exactly what we just got through saying, is to say that sexuality is a gift. We would encourage them to refrain and do it God's way. We would absolutely counsel them to uh, refrain from that. One of the things that we do, and we have a questionnaire, is, is you know, we, we point blank ask people, you know, are, are, are you sexually active? If so, are you willing to wait till your wedding day? 
Because we want to not, again, this is not to pound them and say, you know, you know, you, you know if you are, you better, you know, and, and be mean to them, but say, you know, God loves you deeply. He loves your relationship deeply, and he wants good for you. And he wants it to be in the confines of that marriage. And so we do ask that question. However, we do make a distinction between believers and unbelievers, as Paul did. And I want to read a passage to you when we talk about dealing with people you know, in the church and outside the church from 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says this, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Listen to what he says, though. Not at all meaning that the, pe the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters, in that case, you would have to leave the world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or slanderer or drunkard or swindler. And he's talking about willful sin. They know they're in sin. They call themselves a brother and Christian, a brother and sister, a, you know, a Christian in the Lord. And they say, you know, I know it's sin, but I don't care. They said, you know, that, that's where you have to deal with them in a different way. But he said, do not even eat with such people. And it's a willful, rebellious sin. Then he says this, what business is it of mine to judge those who are outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those that are outside the church. And so our judgment is not to the outside. That's why the church has to get out of this mindset that we're battling against flesh and blood that's out there. We're not. Paul says we battle against spiritual warfare. We, you know, spiritual wicked, you know, spirits in high places. That's who our battle's against, not people. But he said, there's a distinction. And so rare occasions I've had unbelievers want me to do a, wed a wedding. And, you know, I think it's happened like once. And, and this is a time that I can share Jesus with them. You know, I thank God at least they want to get married. The one couple I, you know, that were not believers, I asked them, why do you want to get married? You know, because it kind of, the culture says, just live together. Why do you want to get married? And they said this. They said, we want to do this thing the right way. I was kind of impressed with that answer because, and I was able to share with them God's way that Jesus loves them and that he's got a plan for them. But to answer the question specifically, if they are believers, if they love Jesus and they just say, you know what, we can't refrain. We, we you know, we're, we're sexually active, we're living together and we just won't do that. Then I would say you probably need to find someone else to do your wedding. Not because I'm trying to be mean to you, but it, it, what, what we're wanting to do is if you want a pastor to do your wedding in a church, what you're saying is I want the blessings of God on my marriage. And so it's kind of, you know, it, 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 it kind of goes against your, your logic there of saying we're, we're, not gonna re, we're not going to refrain and we're going to do it our way, but yet we want God's blessing. It doesn't happen. And so I would, you know, I would tell them you, you would need to get somebody else to do your wedding. But again, in love and, and in grace, I would say that and, not, and just to say God loves you. He has got a plan for your life. It's the same kind of thing is if a couple brings their child and they said, we want you to dedicate our child to the Lord, and they're not living for the Lord. Because the dedication of a child to the Lord is a parent saying, we're committing to raise our child to love Jesus. So it, it just kind of, you know, it just kind of goes against, doesn't really make a lot of sense. And so that's how we would handle it is, is, is in love, but uh, again, pointing them to God's way. The second question on living together, how can we as a body of believers better take a stand and open people's eyes to how this is in defiance of God's word? And then how, we, how can we lovingly educate people on the life that God has for us within his plan? And, you know, Bruce already shared what we would 
say, and a lot of that is very applicable to as you're sharing with someone about living together when they ask the question. Um, but my first thought is really, uh, the church has, has talked a lot. We, we say a lot. <laughs> I think the most important thing for us to do as the body of Christ, as believers, live it. Live it. Let them see a holy marriage. Let them see a marriage that is committed to obeying the principles in scripture. Talk can be really cheap. If we can say it all day long, if we're not living it, it doesn't matter what we say. And so my encouragement is let's live the life. Let's submit ourselves, as we've said, and we will continue to say, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, living his principles, his ways, not conforming to the culture of this world. And, and I think, you know, sometimes we talk about, you know, godly marriages and we, we kind of say, yeah, we understand that uh, godly marriage is not having adultery and not um, uh, being sexually immoral and these sorts of things. Um, but sometimes we fall into and we slip into those things. Um, in fact, I think we've mentioned this before, but the divorce rate in the church is just as high as it is in the world. It's kind of not a good thing. Um, and I think it's because we look at the big sins or the manifestation. Those sins are often just a manifestation of a deeper problem. And I think one of, one of our big problems sometimes is we've, we've got to catch the little foxes, you know, the, the foxes that Song of Solomon talks about that spoil the vineyard. It's the little things that we don't pay attention to a lot of the time that can destroy our marriages. And I think one of the things that we really don't look at or have a temptation not to look at um, is how we value our spouses, how we prioritize time with them, relationship with them, um, we, we can often or easily get into valuing our friends, our family members, sisters, brothers, cousins, I mean it just doesn't matter, sometimes our children. We value and place greater priority on relationships that have not been covenanted before the Lord. We have vowed to each other. We have covenanted together. I don't do that with anyone else. I don't do that with my friends. I don't do that with my children. I have only done that with my spouse. And so then the, the relationship takes on a whole new priority just as it does. Again, we see the patterning or the, the paralleling of what Christ has done for us in relationship and how we must commit our lives wholeheartedly and prioritize our relationship with Christ Jesus so must we prioritize our relationship with our spouse, first and foremost. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Now, again, I say that there are seasons, there are times, there are struggles that we have. We might need outside intervention. Um, it's good to have accountability partners, but really, they must be taken in um, the context that the marriage and the relationship and the accountability that we share goes far, far, far above those type of relationships. And so an easy way we can slip into not, not um, walking in purity or um, being sexual and moral in our relationships is just not by covenanting together, not honoring what God says to honor. And that is our relationship with our spouse first, first. 
first and foremost. Of course, not above your relationship with God, but it should be God, us, and then our children. That's the order. And so it is absolutely vital. And, and, and the statistics prove it. it. We're falling apart at the seams in the church. We must take a look, not just at the great big manifestation of sin, but what leads us to the point to sin. And what often leads us to the point of sin is not being obedient to honor covenant above other relationships. And so I just really strongly urge that's something that we really, it's touchy because it's culturally confrontational. Culturally, we're encouraged to have relationships, to prioritize time for self, for others. Not that those things are wrong. It's not wrong to have friendships, but it is wrong when we get them out of the priority that God has called us to. And again, we must realize the Lord wants to empower us. He doesn't ask this of us to leave us alone and just say, you know, get with the program. He invites us to this relationship, and then he says, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit to empower you to do what I've called you to do. So he doesn't leave us alone. Be encouraged. The Lord is with you. But know that you have power through Christ Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, to live the life that he has called you to live. Yes, do we, do we model it? Do we live it? You know, I can debate with a coworker all day about sexual sins or the cultural things, and I can quote scripture to them, but if I'm treating my wife like garbage, that friend's not going to have flutters in his heart wondering what he must do to be saved. And that's just the reality of it. We have to model it. We have to, we have to you know, I have to love her like Christ loves the church. That's what we're commanded to um, as husbands, and, and there has to be a different standard. I can talk and talk and talk, but if I'm not modeling it and living it, uh, people really don't care what we have to say, and so that's how we're going to make the, the big impact. Um, so that leads us into the second, uh, this kind of the second foundational thing. Again, the first thing is all of our relationships are out of the outflow with our relationship with Jesus. Two is living God's ways and not the world's ways. Um, this is where we're going to deal with topics of family and parenting and address some of those questions. Um, Romans 12, 1, 2, the Sunday school class will be familiar with this, but it's a great passage what Paul says. He said, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Then what he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do we want to know what God's will is? We're going to have to conform to His ways and not the world's. Here's Paul saying, you're going to have to battle against conformity to the world. Do not conform to the world's ways of doing things. And so th that, that encompasses all that we're talking about in godly marriage, godly family, is we have to do it God's way and not the world's way, conforming to His way and not ours. Um, when we do relationships and marriage and family his way, it, again, it'll be counterculture. Um, we will have to fight against it all our days. So here's the questions. Um, I'll just list the questions and then we'll, we'll move on from there. What are some practical ways to teach kids how important it is to be passionate about God when there are so many other things in their lives that take up their time? Good question. Number two, how do you deal with children who are defiant and rebellious when the culture friends, television, influences them? How do you get them to respect? Great questions. I would say, again, live it. 
at home, parents, if you're not modeling this, your kids are not going to, they're not going to follow. They're not going to do what you're, you're hoping that they will do. Um, you're the parent. You don't want them having a, a bad attitude. Demonstrate first for them a good attitude. I would ask as a wife or as a husband, are you respecting and honoring your spouse in front of your children? Because I guarantee you, if you're not, your children are going to not respect you. You know, these are things, we, we, uh, look at yourself first. If you're having trouble in your home, look at, look at yourself. Um, we're, we're not um, subjected to the culture of this world. If your kids are doing what they see on TV, that's a great indication as a parent. You need to step it up, take responsibility. Are you having devotions as a family? Are you spending time together in prayer? Are you setting a standard in your home of godliness and living in accordance with the word? I, I know that's hard. It, we're busy. But that goes back to godly prior, priorities, you know, prioritizing this and prioritizing what he says. We're not living according to what the television tells us. And if you're going ahead as the parent in the home, not living according to what the television tells us, that means the television's not going to be on the majority of the time. Or when it is on, it's being closely watched because you're not living in accordance with the things of this world, the patterns, you're not following the patterns of this world. Um, if, if your child is rebellious, I mean, we, we just dealt with a situation in our own family um, of, of a, a difficulty that one of our children had um, in, in relationships. And um, <laughs> please don't question that. I'm not trying to put our kids under the spotlight, but um, it, it was just a real trial that they went through. And as they're going through this, the Lord started convicting me. My, our kids are almost grown. I mean, Taylor's 20, Tori's 18. Um, Taylor's off at school. And as he was going through some trials and difficulties, or as Tori goes through trials and difficulties, we start looking at our own hearts, first and foremost, immediately. That reveals that children magnify what's going on in the home. They just do. They manifest and magnify what's going on in the home. Often. Not always, but often. And so as one of our children were facing a trial and difficulty in their own life, the Lord just started having us look at our lives. What are we doing? We had to reevaluate. Re we had to correct some things and refocus. Now, it wasn't an instant fix. As we dealt with some things before the Lord and stopped doing some things that we had been doing, nothing major. It was part of the culture of the day. But as God put his finger on it, and we said no to that, and actually it was several things in our lives that we just, we just hadn't paid attention to. And as we subjected those and stopped and repented and turned from them, change happened in our child. It was amazing. Now, it did, again, it didn't happen overnight, but it did happen. And so it was so beautiful to see how God works just through our obedience and how it downflows to our children. And now when they become adults and they're living on their own, it may be a different thing entirely. But where I can be responsible as a parent, I need to be. God has given us our children. He's not given the state your children. He's not given the school your children. He's not given the church your children. He's given you your children. You will be held responsible for your children. You will. You will answer to God for your children. Not, not Bruce and me, not Pastor Barry. 
it will be you before the Lord. We are here to assist and come alongside, but we will not answer. The, the schools will not answer for your children and how you raise them. You're responsible. You have the power. You have the authority as the parent to turn off the television. If you don't want your child being rebellious, you can require them not to be rebellious. Give them consequences for their actions. Hold them accountable. Hold yourself accountable before the Lord. And then see what God will do. Oftentimes, um, when we are having other troubles or difficulties um, of, of in, in any aspect of our life, of course, we take it to the Lord in prayer. Pray with your spouse if, if you have a spouse. Pray with your spouse. There is power in prayer. God answers. When we pray in accordance with his word, he answers us. And um, so pray. Pray the word. Ask the Lord what he's saying, what he's doing. He will tell you, but be prepared. When he tells you, it's often not necessarily what we want to hear or what we want to do. But be prepared to obey. Um, and also, we pray, uh, I'll go through scripture and find out what pertains to, whether it's if, I, if we're dealing with rebellion in the home, if I'm dealing with a bad attitude, whatever the case may be, what I do is write scriptures down on note cards and pray them. Pray the scriptures that pertain to that. I get the truth in my mind so that it washes, you know, the word washes us and, and renews us to think correctly, to, to act correctly. And it's amazing how powerful it is. And sometimes we need outside help, but oftentimes if we will do this, if we will just seek the Lord and obey his word, it's amazing how he takes care of these situations. It's beautiful. So I just encourage you, the word is powerful, prayer is powerful, and you're the parent. You make the changes, you lead the way, you set the spiritual thermostat in your home, you set the pace, they watch you, they're going to do what you do. When the consequences arise, listen to those consequences. Perhaps they're not getting enough time with you. Maybe you're not lovingly disciplining them the way they need to be disciplined. Maybe you're too busy. Maybe you need to cut back your schedule so that you can give your child the time they need. Um, and so I just encourage you, do these things. It is countercultural. It takes time. Prioritize, you know, these things and do what is necessary in these areas and watch God work. He really will work. Parents lead the way. Um, as a dad, I want to speak to the dads. Dad, you are the initiator. I mean, the Bible calls you the priest of the home. You are the initiator. Uh, we are called to lay down our li lives for our wives. We are to not frustrate our kids. Engage your family, Dad. Um, again, we've gone back a few weeks, you know, uh, a few weeks ago, we've gone back and kind of talked about the movie Courageous, but in there, it's a call to fathers. And, uh, you know, and they, and they stand up and they, and they have this resolution saying, who's going to lead my family? I will. Who's going to lead this thing? I will. I'm going to take responsibility for what God has placed on me. So dads, get engaged with your kids. Spend time with them. Talk with them. Um, lead the way. Single moms, uh, God bless you. Single moms are heroic in our culture today. You know, uh, that's where you just allow God to be the father to your kids. And, you know, you're married to Jesus um, and I don't say that light, lightly at all. It's really the truth, but, uh, but just uh, adopting those things in your home. But parents, we, we, we do lead the way, and we initiate. Are we laying our lives in? Do we model the passion that we want our kids to walk in? 
Do we model that for them? Are we just passionate outwardly and not living differently? And those are just things that we have to take that examination of our own lives. You know, divine priorities are driven by the parents. We disciple them for better or for worse. We are the chief disciplers of our kids. Not Sunday school, not children's church, not youth group, not the church. The parent is the chief discipler of the kids. And so they become what we are. Um, help them, you know, the first question is, is, you know, if they're at busy lives, help them to cut down on what takes up their time. Number one, by you doing the same thing. Because if we, if we tried to tell them, oh man, you're too busy and we're busy, it's a contradiction. But to help them to carve out that time and help them to say, we're gonna, let's do this together. Because I'm, I'm overly busy. We live in a busy society. So, but, you know, so we have to carve out those times. And guess what? We carve out the time for the things that we want to do. We really do. But we have to help them. We have to disciple them. We have to cut down on busyness ourselves. Make time for family. Folks, do it. Make time for your family. Spiritually, fun times together. Have meals together. If your kids are small, what we used to do is we did, we did puppet shows with our kids. We'd do Bible stories with puppet shows. We'd turn on praise and worship music around the house, and we would dance. And our kids love that. Be creative. It can be fun. When your kids are older, carve out that time. They're not going to be as excited about it as a puppet show, but they're, you know, but carve out the time. Say, you know, well, let's, let's do a family devotion together. Do, you're, you're going to have to do your homework. Find something. Do some research of finding a good devotional that will engage your kids to ask some questions. Be prepared to do that and to lead the way. You know, and, and, and so many people, you know, when you ask them, you know, about their, their quiet times or, you know, do you have family devotions, you know, there's a common response of, well, we need to do more of that. I'm saying do more of it. We've been there. We've let busyness rule our lives before. And so uh, that we don't st- sit up here in a, in a judgment way, but we're sitting up here saying we are of you. And if we don't make time for it, it won't just happen. Sometimes we even have to schedule it. Make an appointment if you have to. If somebody calls and you're having family time, you're, ha- you're in an appointment right now. It's okay to say no to people. It's okay to not take that phone call. Now, I know that there's times where it's emergencies and you have to take those. But I'm saying you have an appointment with your family. Because it's easy just to put that on the back burner and we let our family s- suffer when we're out here doing the rest of this stuff. You know, if we're having family time and we've carved out family time, do not be offended if I don't take your phone call. I won't. Because this is priority, and it's an appointment. Well, and that's one of the, the requirements in Scripture, you know, if you are a pastor, that if you can't guide your house, you can't guide the, the house of God. And so uh, it, we have the responsibility, again, and, and for the world looking on as Christians, if our families are falling apart just as, as much as the world, they don't want what we have. They're not interested. But if they see a difference by us Taking time, taking that time, prioritizing that time, prioritizing what God prioritizes, not the culture of the day, not what's convenient, but, but listening to God, listening to his Holy Spirit, letting him empower you. It is beautiful to see how his hand will work and bring unity and oneness in your family. Really God's, way, God's way of doing relationship is laying our lives down for one another. 
I mean, all throughout. Ephesians 5 just kind of gives you a, a rundown of husbands and wives. Uh, kids, let me, tell, let, let me just talk to the kids real quick. There is, in Scripture, there's a commanded blessing for you that if you honor and respect your parents, it says you'll have long days upon the earth. It's the first command with a promise back in the Old Testament. Um, let me just go ahead and, 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 and say, kids, you don't know more than your parents. All the parents said amen. Um, you might have more knowledge than your parents, but you don't have more experience than them. This, 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 this recent thing that we dealt with our kids, you know, when, when, when you're able to talk to your kids from a level of experience, isn't it amazing how experience gives you great, great education? And if we let experience teach us, and this was one of the things that was said to the, one of our kids that was dealing with some things is, I said, I'm not coming to you from a place of where I've got it all figured out. Let me, um, let me put a little in, uh, education on you from experience of where I have blown it. You know, let me tell you about the mistakes that I made to help you maybe not make those same mistakes. And so, kids, honor your parents. That will be counterculture, kids. The TV it makes parents look like idiots. They're stupid. They don't know anything. And, and, and it's kind of a normal thing to, that the kids, we're going to tell our parents what to do, and we're going to tell them what is this and what. That is not biblical. And to honor and respect your parents is counterculture. And if your friends, you might see your friends, you're over there at your friend's house, and they just kind of tell their parents what to do, and they're kind of barking at their parents. That is not biblical. Honor your parents, but parents lead the way. And so this leads us into the last thing. We're going to close down with this. So, um, you know, putting Jesus first in all of our relationships. Um, secondly, is living God's way, not, not the world's way. And then thirdly, is in all things, in all things, walk in the grace, mercy, and redemption of Jesus. You know, a lot of what we have said has been kind of passionate and <laughs> counterculture. <laughs> but I, I hope that you hear our hearts in all of this. We have seen too many times in our own family um, the family be destroyed. Um, we've, we've counseled countless people that you know, you just wish you could share with them, there's a better way, you know, and you try to express that, and oftentimes it's too late, or, or um, there may be unwillingness there, or whatever. I'm tired of the enemy destroying the family. I'm tired of the enemy taking what is rightfully ours through Christ Jesus, what he died and paid for and purchased for us that we get to have as our inheritance, if we, there is a condition, we have to choose it. He will not bully us. He will not override our will. We have a choice. And so my heart is, and our heart is for families to succeed, to thrive, to flourish, to be established, to be unified, to have joy, to love each other. This is our passion. And so we share these things out of a place of passion and love, but yet at the same time strongly saying, you know, it's like a kid before you, they run out in the street. You're not just going to say, stop, you're going to get run over. You express yourself to get their attention, and that's our heart, you know. I know most of you know all of this anyway, but our heart is, for those of you who may not know, 
wake up. The Lord has awesome things, promises that are true. They are yes and amen. He's not a man that he can lie. If we will just obey and listen to what he has to say and trust him, he wants to give us awesome gifts. He is a giver of good gifts. I promise. It's true. I've, I've lived with obeying him, and I've lived without obeying him. And trust me, you don't want to live not obeying. It's just not worth it. So our passion is, and what we have to share, is out of a place of great love and just saying his ways are higher. They're better. We don't always get it, but we can trust, and he's so trustworthy. Yeah, you know, um, I, again, I love my marriage, and I love my family, and we're passionate about this topic, but we're not perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we don't, again, we don't sit up here on these gold thrones <laughs> coming from a place that we have it all figured out. Um, and none of us walking out perfectly, and, and we, we don't want today to be this overwhelming burden to you. And so, you know, it, is, it sometimes can be a, a conviction and a burden, and let the Holy Spirit do with His work in you. And take the conviction of the Holy Spirit, because that's good. God's discipline's wonderful. But as we, you know, as we somewhat, you know, it can be burdensome, let us lift this off of you right now, because, you know, in all things, we can walk in the grace, the mercy, and the redemption of Jesus, because that's what we find in Him. As Athena said, you know, marriage and family are under attack in our culture. And, uh, and, and Jesus loves relationships. He gave us relationships, and, and He desires most importantly, that he is at the center of those relationships. The last question was this, and the reason why we're dealing with this topic about, you know, grace, mercy, and redemption is this. How does someone shake guilt when they know that what they've done and they needed to do, but they ha- and they've been forgiven, but Satan keeps reminding and bringing up the past wrong, even when it's been done and forgiven? Can, can we hear an amen to that question? Because we all deal with that. You know, this covers, and I don't know if this person was specifically talking about, you know, and obviously they were probably talking about a specific issue, but this covers all kinds of relationships and, you know, uh, failures and, uh, you know, things that we have regrets on. It can be, you know, sexual sin, wrongs in marriage, you know, things that we've done to our spouse that we wish we didn't do, things that we've done with our family, maybe neglecting our children, you know, and so we can all gravitate to this of how do you, how do you receive that? And it's to know that we have amazing promises in Jesus. That's the wonderful thing that we have in Christ. First Peter 4.8, it says this. And I think this is such a great relationships passage. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. And the love that he's describing there is Christ's love, self-sacrificial. It's called the love that lays its life down for each other. Again, all relationships that succeed are about laying our lives down for each other. Jesus even said, there's no greater love than this than one lays down his life for his friends. And love covers a multitude of sins. Receiving his love, receiving his forgiveness, receiving his redemption, he deeply loves us, and then he gives us the capacity to love deeply. But then we have the enemy of our souls. I mean, Jesus says he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So he comes with us with condemnation, shame, guilt. And the way we combat that is this. Do we really believe what Jesus says about us? Do we really believe that he is a redeemer and a restorer and a healer? 
You know, conviction is good, discipline is good, but the enemy tries to convert that to shame and guilt. And then Paul says this so wonderfully. He said, you know, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. If you've blown it in any of these areas, which, you know, we all have stories, you need to know that he loves you, he longs to forgive you, he longs to set you free. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. It's not just a nice little idea that we can just conjure up in our mind to make us feel better. He really wants to set you free. And then today you can have a fresh start with him in all your relationships. That's the kind of promises that we have with God. That's the redemption that we have in God. And you might say, well, I'm older, you know, and I've, you know, man, it's just I feel like I'm at the end of, you know, towards the end of my life. And how can I redeem all of that stuff and all the blown stuff, you know, from the past? God can do more in a day with your life than you can in a lifetime. That's the promise we have in Him. And the Bible says that His mercies are new every morning. His freedom is new every morning. His invitation to freedom is every morning for you. And that we can run to Him and we can go counterculture in our relationships starting today. We can go God's way. We can lay our lives down for each other in, 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 in true love. And we can bring in our home a, a, a culture of honor and respect. We can decide today that we're going to do relationships and sexuality His way and say, God, I, I embrace your promises and I'm going to do it your way and not my way. We can do marriage His way. We can do family His way. We can receive His mercy and we can start fresh today and we can receive that, th those precious promises that we have in Christ. And it is important if you are continuing to hear the lies of the enemy about your past to remember scripture, again, the truth will set you free. Writing down scriptures about what Christ has purchased for you on Calvary, that it's paid for. Your sin is covered in his blood. You are no longer um, held accountable for that sin. And though consequences still, you may be paying some consequences, in God's eyes, if you have been forgiven and you have turned from that sin, he sees it no longer. And so believing the truth about who Christ says that you are in him, that remembering that when Christ looks at you, if you've been covered in his blood and received his forgiveness, when Christ looks at you or when the Father looks at you, he sees you through the blood of Christ. And so believing the truth about who you are now that you are in Christ Jesus is vital and um, to, to stay free. And as Bruce said, who the Son has set free is free indeed. That's the promise. You're free. We've got to align our mind to that. We've got to conform our minds to believe the truth and subject it to the Lord Je Jesus Christ. And, and um, he will eventually, once you stand on the word, once you keep continuing to wash your mind in the word, you will start to believe the truth. You will start seeing yourself through the lens that Christ looks at you through his precious blood. Thank you guys for, I know this kind of went longer today, but we just felt like we want to cover that in one day, and uh, we want to pray for you, and we want to pray for us, and we want to pray for the church, and so will you stand with us as we close? Let's just agree in prayer together. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we, we run to your throne today. 
Lord, thank you, God, for the family of God. Thank you, Lord, that we can come and that we can enjoy your presence. We can enjoy the relationships with each other. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for your grace, that your invitation to us is to come to you. And Lord, today we all, Lord, just we all want to just put a new stake in the, in the, in the ground to today to God that we want to do relationships your way. Lord, we commit to marriage your way. We commit to sexuality your way. We commit to parenting and uh, your way and, and families your way. God, we want to do it your way. We want to lead the way as the church. Lord, by our, not just by our words, but our actions. God, we want to reveal the great plan that you have for mankind for relationships. We want to see marriages thrive. We want to see families, Lord, walk in all that you have for them. So, Lord, I pray today we would go counterculture. We would love you with all of our heart. Lord, for those that are married here today, Lord, I pray for marriages today. I pray for even maybe some that are not here, and, and, and Lord, there's family members today that have been praying for their marriages. God, we pray that you would be at the center of marriage, that you would heal brokenness. You'd heal those that are on the brink of, of collapse. Lord, for families, those who might have rebellious kids, and Lord, uh, prodigal children that are out there wandering, we pray, God, that you would restore and redeem. I pray, God, for all of us today who have issues of our past, ways we've lived it our way. God, we are so sorry. Forgive us. Help us to live differently and help us to receive your promises of love, redemption, and forgiveness. God, we commit our hearts to you today that we, Lord, we want to do relationships your way. God, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you this week. Have an awesome week. And